Part four here, uh, I'd like to start with another negative, a problem. I sometimes wonder if I'm too negative. I hope that you don't think that I'm negative. I'm trying not to be. There's a problem in American education that extends to Adventist education, extends to all education in America, public or private. This is from the Pew Research Center. One of the biggest cross-national tests is the Program for International Student Assessment. They call it PISA. Which every three years measures reading ability, math, and science literacy, among other key skills in 15-year-olds in dozens of developed and developing countries. The most recent PISA results from 2015 placed the United States in an unimpressive 38th out of 71 countries in math and 24th in science. Among the 35 members of the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, which sponsors the PISA initiative, the United States ranked 30th in math and 19th in science. In other words, what many people are coming to realize is that American education, when compared to other educational uh, What's the word I'm looking for? It popped out of my mind. When compared to other countries, American education is not that great. It's unfortunate, but in some ways very true. We are, when it comes to education, sort of middle of the pack. This is specifically about high school level education. You get into university and college level programs, and it is somewhat of a different story. Many of the world's greatest universities, by the world standards, are in the United States. But in high school education, American education is very middle of the pack. Adventists will be making a mistake if we compare our educational performance to American schools around us. If you like sports, anybody here? It's mostly girls here today. You like sports? If your team was middle of the pack, would you be happy? If you were running a race and you finished not last, but certainly not first, you finished in the middle, would you be happy? Nobody runs a race to finish in the middle. If Adventists are comparing themselves to traditional American education, evaluating our performance against the performance of American public schools, we will find that we are comparing ourselves to those who are in the middle of the pack. American education is not the best in the world, and it is not best for us to compare ourselves to public education in the United States. Think about this presentation. I always feel like I'm going out a limb. Talking about education in America is a very sensitive subject. Ellen White wrote Loma Linda messages here. Our God is a God of knowledge and understanding. If we will take our position decidedly on his side to be wholly influenced by his spirit, he will give us wisdom. I would that all our people might see the inconsistency of those who profess to be God's commandment-keeping people, a peculiar people, zealous of good works, thinking that they must copy after the world's pattern in order to make their work a success. That's all the more true when the world that you're comparing yourself to and following isn't all that successful. If we were comparing ourselves and following after the best schools in the world, it would make a little more sense. But American education is simply not the best in the world. 
and to follow after that methodology when it doesn't even get you the best makes no sense. It's inconsistent. We do not need to follow the world's pattern in order to make our work successful. Our God is stronger than any human influence. If we will accept him as our educator, if we will make him our strength and righteousness, he will work in our behalf. Forbes magazine recently uh, has done a number of articles on vocational education in the United States. A friend sent these to me. This one is actually from 2015. Forbes entitled the article, Why We Desperately Need to Bring Back Vocational Training in Our Schools in America, Public Education. A couple quotes from the article here. It says, education in America is focused primarily on preparing students for college and college prep is the center is the center of the U.S. high school curricula. There's a couple issues with that, even from a non-religious point of view. Let's throw out the spirituality for a minute. Throw out the mission of our church in the context of education. Let's just analyze raw education statistical data from right here in the United States. He's saying that American education, high school education, is focused on preparing kids for college and sending kids to college. And listen to what he says next here. One of the problems with this model of education is that young people have a huge and diverse range of different skills and learning styles. When you put kids through the factory cookie cutter model of education and crank out kids that look, think, and sound identical to each other, you are missing the individuality and the peculiar skills and gifts that those kids have, except for the ones that he hit on accident because they line up with your model of education. Not everyone's good at math, he says, or biology, or history, and other traditional subjects that characterize college-level work. Not everybody's good at those things. He goes on, talking about college education, quoting the U.S. US Bureau of Labor Statistics, that 68% of high school graduates in the United States actually attend college. Only 68%. That means that 30% of American-aged kids either have no academic experience or no job skills. One-third, nearly, of every kid in America is neither academically educated or vocationally educated. What do they have? Nothing. Nothing. He says, but even the 68% are not doing so well. 40% of the students who begin school, so 40% of the 68%, don't finish their college degree. Which translates into a whole lot of wasted time, wasted money, burdensome student loan debt. Of those who do finish college, one-third nearly will end up in jobs they could have gotten without a degree. Let's do a little bit of mental math here. We'll take his statistics. 68% of American kids go to college. That's 68 out of 100. Of course, you know that. So 68 out of 100 kids go to college. 40% of the 68% don't finish their degree. 40% of 68 is 27. Take 27 off of 68, and you wind up with only 41 kids out of 100 
that are actually college educated. What about the other, what is that, 59% who don't go to college or who don't finish that degree? 37% of college graduates are employed in jobs that don't require their degree. That's 25 out of that total of 68. Let's do a little bit more math. And what you come up with is only 16 kids out of that original 100 are actually in a vocation that is relevant to the degree that they pursued. Only 16 out of 100 kids actually are using the education they received, paid for, and invested their time in at college. He's highlighting a very real issue in American education, an issue which I might be out on a limb talking to some of you about, but more and more people are acknowledging and admitting that the promise of wealth and prosperity and position and influence that used to inherently come with a college education is no longer true. College is no longer a guarantee that you will wind up with the right job paying you the amount you want and give you the white picket fence around the house that you've always wanted. That dream is not quite the reality that we have been told that it is. I want to be very clear at this point and state to you that I believe in being very educated. I, nor nobody else that I know, is proposing that education should produce dummies. The discussion is not about being educated. The discussion is about what type of education produces the best results. What type of education produces results that not only give you success in this world, but also prepare you to be missionaries in this world and to live for the world to come? What type of education will give our kids the knowledge they need to succeed here, but will give them the character and the skills they need to endure a world of temptation and find themselves on the sea of glass, casting their crown at the feet of Jesus Christ. It's not about being educated. It is about the type of education that you receive and the method through which you receive that education. It is not about being dumb. He goes on here in his study, in a situation where 70% of high school students do not go to college or fail to graduate or graduate and are employed in something other than what they were educated, he asked the question, is vocational education really expendable? But nearly universally in America, we have disposed of vocational education. His last question here, or is it the smartest investment that we could make in our children, our businesses, and our country's economic future? Recently, President Trump went to Germany. How many of you saw that on the news? Very recently. Coming back from Germany, the Europeans challenged President Trump and he apparently has accepted the challenge to produce five million more vocationally trained Americans within the next uh, few years. I can't remember the precise time period. Because Europe is far ahead of America when it comes to vocational-based training, both as an academic thing and also as a business concept. In Europe, in many countries, 
businesses are partnering with educational institutions to provide internships and apprenticeship type programs that develop skills specific to the kids' gifts and aptitudes before they spend four, six, eight years in college changing their major or their degree three or four times and not knowing even then what they want to do with their life. They are far ahead of us in certain regards. And again, as it comes to Adventists, do we want to compare ourselves to in a model of education in America that even many American educators are admitting is not the best in the world? Ellen White wrote in The Advocate of 1900, that's a periodical out of Australia, I have been shown that the study in agricultural lines should be the A, B, and C of the educational work of our school. The youth are to learn how to work interestedly and intelligently that wherever they are, they may be respected because they have a knowledge of those arts so essential to what? Practical life. In the place of being day laborers, under an overseer, our young people are to place themselves where they can command wages as good carpenters, printers, or as educators in agricultural work. America as a culture, as a society, has gotten to the point where the only type of professions that we truly value, respect, and look up to are those with the white collar. If you're a doctor, you're respected. If you're a lawyer, you're respected, although you're criticized for being immoral. If you're a banker, if you're a CPA, if you're a computer programmer, a tech person, if you're in some vocation which has prestige to it, it usually doesn't require much practical skill in the traditional sense of the word practical. Americans have come to the point that we look down on those people who do the common day-to-day laboring stuff. The guy is in construction. The guy is building your house. The guy is doing your plumbing. The guy is fixing your electrical. And of course, the farmer is quite often known as being either too dumb to do anything else or desiring to be poor, as one person put it to me. It's amazing that farming has the stereotype of being the thing that dumb people do who can't do anything else. Because farming is one of the most complicated things that I have ever done. And I think, I don't know if I said it to this group yesterday or the group in the morning, but anybody who's tried to grow something, and especially if you failed at it, realize that you don't just throw something in the ground and then just poof, it happens to produce magically. You actually have to know what you're doing to farm successfully. But Americans have cultivated this reputation that professional things are the things we should do And the laboring stuff is the things that the uneducated people do. But our young people uh, today have an opportunity, I believe again, to receive an education that will put them in a position to command good wages. I read one article recently that said the vocations, the best paying vocations of the future might be the ones like the plumber that you have to hire to fix your toilet. I have to tell you a funny story I told the group this morning. My dad uh, runs his own business. He ran a lawn and garden and pet center. And he recently retired from that. It was his own business, and he kind of closed it down. Now all he's doing is private contract jobs for uh, typically wealthier Americans, restaurant owners, doctors, dentists, uh, people with large sums of money who want saltwater aquariums or fancy koi gardens in their, their backyard. 
he installs and done, does maintenance on koi ponds and saltwater aquariums and all that stuff. He was telling me recently he was in a wealthy doctor's house. The guy's a brain surgeon. His living room alone is the size of most people's house. He's a multimillionaire. He was installing an aquarium at the guy's house and got to talking to the guy. The man came to him and said, hey, I have a problem in my kitchen. Could you come help me? My dad said, sure, I'll go look at it. And he said, my sink won't drain. My kitchen sink's plugged up, won't drain. Well, my dad looked at it and he says, well, your trap's plugged up a little bit. All you have to do is, you know, take the trap off and empty it out and put it back on. You'll be good to go. This guy, who's probably got 8 to 12 years of education, looked at my dad and said, I can't do that. My dad said, why not? He said, I'm afraid I might mess it up. Here's a guy who's got 12 years of extremely sophisticated education, paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to receive that education, and he can't fix his sink in his kitchen. Now, God bless him, as I said earlier this morning, if I need somebody to work on my brain. But he can't fix his sink. And do you know what a plumber charges per hour to come fix your sink? $40? Your plumber's cheap. <laughs> this is Montana, he said. <laughs> it could be. Almost anything professional in California is going for at least $100 an hour. Electricians, mechanics, computer repair guys, almost anything is 100 bucks an hour. My dad used to be a mechanic before he went into his own thing, and he would always joke. It didn't matter what it was. Need a new battery? 100 bucks. Need somebody to check your oil? 100 bucks. Fix a tire? 100 bucks. He would joke about it. He would also joke about the lights on the dashboard. He always called them dummy lights. He said, the lights on the dashboard are there for the guys who don't pay any attention to their car and need them to have a bell or a whistle in their car to tell them when something's wrong. But uh, it's true. If you know how to do certain trades or skills many Americans no longer know how to do, you'll be in a fairly good position soon. I think I shared with you yesterday the average age of the American farmer is 65. There are not many young people going into farming currently. In 20 years, those farmers will be 85, and the majority of your food will be grown by people who are retired. That means they won't be growing your food anymore. Unless there are significant developments in production so that the few farmers who do exist can grow much larger quantities of food, you may have an entirely different food supply system in 20 years. But if young people today were to go into farming now, 15, 20 years from now, they would be in an entirely different financial position because as the food supply decreases, demand stays high, what happens to the price of that product? It goes up. There are many farms, small-scale farms now, who are making triple-digit numbers, six-figure numbers, off of an acre, acre and a half of land selling it direct to the public, certified organic, local, that kind of thing. There are guys, many of them, who are making $150,000, $200,000 on a very small amount of acreage. I had one guy, when he was talking about being a farmer, he was asked why he didn't decide to be a dentist or something. And he looked, quite frankly, at everybody else and said, I couldn't afford the pay cut. There are people in farming who are making very good money on very small acreage our young people could have a promise of a decent living in the future if we reverse the trend, the thought, the mentality that common laboring vocations are belittled in some way instead of professional vocations like 
teaching or dentistry or whatever it is. And that's not to belittle those things you understand either. Our young people could place themselves where they can command good wages as carpenters, printers, or as educators in agricultural work. Another very interesting statement, she says, thus also our schools could aid effectively in the disposition of the unemployed masses, thousands of helpless and starving beings whose numbers are daily swelling the ranks of the criminal classes might achieve self-support in a happy, healthy, independent life if they could be directed in skillful, diligent labor in the tilling of the soil. Fresno County is a weird place. It's the most prolific agricultural county in California. But the city of Fresno, many parts of it are considered food deserts where the local residents do not have access to fresh produce. The hundreds and thousands of acres, or probably more than that, of tree crops, peaches, nectarines, plums, citrus that's grown in Fresno County never make it to the interior parts of Fresno. They're shipped out. You can find a jack-in-the-box, a Taco Bell, and a big pile of liquor stores. But you can't find a banana in some parts of Fresno in the most prolific food-producing part of the world. On top of that, most of these people don't even have an inch of dirt to put a plant into. Ellen White's understanding given to her by God in light of our current society is an amazing endorsement of the reality of God inspiring her. That quote right there on that screen is today's inner city reality. For those of you that doubt the inspiration of Ellen White, if it crosses your mind, for those of you that have concerns about the inspiration of the Bible, many of the things that we've been reading about are today's reality. The lack of farmers, the lack of skill, is something that we're living with today. Her counsels about education and educational methods are today's educational reality. I'm so blessed, we are blessed to have what we have in this church. Our decision is whether or not we'll use it and I hope that you will and I will. She goes on here. What's the world's best educational system by country? Anybody know? Who has the best performing educational system in the world? It's not Japan. It's not Germany. It's not China or Norway, though we're getting closer. It's not Swin. It's Finland. I almost said Swindland when you said Sweden and she said Finland and... Finland has been at the top of the world's uh, best performing countries for about 10 years, either at the top or near the top, depending on who's doing the testing and such. Let me tell you a few things about Finland's educational system. You might 
find some of these similar to things you've heard from little red books, or now they're blue books. In Finland, kids do not have to go to school until they are seven. Read that before somewhere? Every hour of school, especially in elementary school, kids get 15 minutes of play. In American education, you get 15 minutes twice a day plus lunch. 15 minutes of every hour are in play. There's no standardized testing in Finland. Compulsory education ends at age 15. And at that same age, the kids get to choose between a traditional academic education or a vocation-based education. And recent studies are showing that about 43% of Finnish students are choosing the vocational route. And teachers in Finland are more uh, well-respected, treated more like doctors here in America. They're paid better. They're more highly educated. They have more autonomy. They can teach what they want, how they want, as it's best for the students. They're not confined to Common Core. They're not confined to the rigid expectations of a bureaucratic structure. There's a lot of autonomy. Many of those things are the things that you read about when you read education in the writings of Ellen White. I wonder sometimes if countries are doing on accident more than what some of us are doing on purpose, even though we know it. And they're reaping the results of that type of educational system when we are not. Finland is an amazing example of the success or the potential success of God's methods when followed out fully, or even in their case, just partially. This is from the University of Colorado, uh, a little fact sheet uh, called Student Gains from Place-Based Education. They'll describe what place-based education here is. Uh, place-based or environment-based education uses the environment as an integrating context across disciplines. It is characterized by exploration of the local community and natural surroundings, hands-on experiences of environmental discovery and problem-solving, interdisciplinary curricula, team teaching, and learning that accommodates the student's individual skills and abilities. Research shows that this approach delivers many benefits to students. There are a number, this is just the easiest summary of it, there are a number of other universities and research documents indicating that hands-on learning, when there's an integration between the mental academics and the hands-on academics, improves student performance academically. So many of us in the world have the mentality that if you need kids to be smarter, start them in school earlier, keep them in school longer every day, keep them in school longer every year, make them stay in school longer throughout the course of their life. So now a kid goes to school when he's what, like how old? And he doesn't get out of school depending on what he studies until he's like maybe 30. And then he's a couple hundred thousand dollars in debt. And he doesn't know how to get his toilet unplugged. Or change the tire on his car. Other countries, American universities, American educators are realizing that the model of education that we have been following 
is not the best performing model of education, even by the world's standards. That there's a better way to educate. There's a better way to get all kids involved and get all kids engaged, aside from making a kid sit at a desk for eight hours a day. And we have the opportunity to participate with that plan. This goes on here. Students in schools and classrooms that use the environment as an integrating context for learning score higher on standardized tests in reading, writing, math, science, and social studies. I'll tell you a story about a school in Arizona that I visited. It's called Manzo Elementary School. I wanted to put a picture of their website up here, but I, I couldn't get it to copy and paste right. If you want to look it up on the internet, you can do that. Manzo Elementary School, Tucson Unified School District. I was there, let's see, it'd be about three and a half, four years ago. I can't remember how I heard about them, but when I was on a delivery route from the farm I was working on up in the Tucson area, uh, when I was done my, with my delivery, I stopped by and visited with the school. Of course, I made an appointment first. And I was talking to Moses Thompson. He was the school counselor. Uh, he was called one day to deal with a couple students who were having difficulties getting along with each other. The thing is, is that Moses was a little bit frustrated because he had previously gotten permission from the school to take the two courtyards that the school had. The school was designed in a figure eight pattern and there were two courtyards. He had gotten the school's permission to take those courtyards and turn them into a garden type environment. He created a desert tortoise habitat and a little greenhouse and a little garden and chicken coop and compost pile and all this other stuff. He was working on this project in its initial phases when he got this call from the office to help these two kids. And he was really frustrated, he told me, that he had to stop what he was doing because he was very passionate about this whole garden thing. And uh, he was just really frustrated. He had to stop and go help some kids with conflict because that's so much of what he did, of course, being the school counselor. But he was so tired of kids fighting all the time. He said, you know what? These kids are working with me today. So he took them out into the garden, and the most amazing thing happened. And you know what it was? They stopped fighting. And a little light bulb went off in his head, and he started coordinating and networking with the other teachers of the school, and they built this whole little garden project and involved every single part of their school academically with that garden. So if they were teaching kids math, they were doing it from the garden. If they were teaching science, they were doing it from the garden. If they were teaching history, they were trying to do it from the garden. So they had, to give you some examples, they had a little analog clock. A little clock with hands on it. And they were teaching the kids to tell time. And they would make them write down their time on a little time sheet. So when they were working in the garden, they were recording their time. Then they would take those time sheets back into the classroom and they teach the kids how to do real world math off their time sheets. So the kids knew how much time they'd invested in the garden. They could keep track of it during the course of the week or the course of the school year. Real world math. They would take the kids, and uh, they had some chickens I mentioned earlier, and they would, they would feed the chickens, and they would keep track of the expenses of purchasing feed, and they would keep track of the sale of the eggs. They were selling the eggs and other produce to the parents, and they would track the income against the expenses and not only teach the kids math, but teach them how to manage money. And the most interesting thing about this story is that Manzo Elementary School was in a low-income, ethnically diverse neighborhood in Tucson that was academically underperforming and was on the verge of being closed by the Tucson Unified School District on the list of schools to close. But after about two or three years of this integration between the garden and the classroom, the academic scores had improved so much that the school took them off the list of schools to close. 
made them a model school for the school district, took Mr. Moses Thompson out of his position as school counselor and put him on the board of directors or some directorship position in the unified school district of Tucson to replicate that program at other schools because it was a phenomenon to take an underperforming, low-income, ethnically diverse school and flip it around and make it a model of an integrated approach to learning. The most amazing thing about that story is the potential that every Seventh-day Adventist school has to replicate that model because that's the model that we've been taught. That's the model that I've been sharing with you the last two days. But more than just academics, we have something that they don't have. We have a mission. We have a message that develops the character and not only prepares the kid to learn to live in this world, but to live in the world to come. While Manzo Elementary School is doing amazing things, I don't know that they can reverse the trend of immorality that we're seeing in our young people in America. I hope they can contribute to it. I sincerely hope they do. But Adventists have a unique opportunity, a special privilege to take the light that we have been given and to create a model of education that would be a beacon of light to the educational world around us. When you look at the other denominations who are bleeding young people from their denominations just like we are, we can create a model of education that keeps all Christian kids inside the faith of Christ in opposition to the pull of the world. And we can simultaneously develop a model of education that shows that a hands-on, nature-based teaching environment creates not only spiritual kids who have backbone and fortitude and courage, but who are intellectually intelligent and academically achieving. If a school like Manzo, if a country like Finland can do part of what we know on accident, what can we do if we take the whole of what we know and do it on purpose? I took the book Education. I wrote in the front cover of it to Moses. There's a big fat tick crawling right across the floor. He's a big guy too. I don't want any of that. He said spotted fever. I'm sorry, I interrupted my story. I should have just squished him. I took the book Education. I wrote in the front of it. I said, Moses, you have no idea where your ideas have come from. He is a pioneer, maybe because of God's influence, a pioneer in education form in America. And we have the opportunity to take what we know, embrace it in full, and be a light to our world. So I talked to you yesterday about the story of Joseph, a man who had solutions to the problems of his time, Pharaoh's problems. Adventists have unique solutions given to us by God that will so often be the remedy to the world's problems around us. We could, if we embrace what we know, be a leader among other denominations in saving our youth. We could be leaders in the health reform movement. We could be leaders in the education movement. We could be leaders in the world among many other types of issues, social justice issues, lots of things that I could name. Adventists know enough if we embrace it to be leaders in the world. And right now there is an opportunity for us 
to step forward into the gap that's being created by crisis and lead the way like Joseph. Somebody needs to step forward in education and demonstrate to America that there's a better way. And that quote I shared with you earlier, that many in the world will recognize the superiority of our methods is a beautiful promise, not just a challenge. Where are we going at Fresno Adventist Academy? We're trying to go where I just described to you. We're trying to create, uh, now I don't work for the school, just to clarify, Harvest Fields Organic Farm, working in partnership with Fresno Adventist Academy, is trying to create an educational model that reverses the trends that we are seeing in our day. We're trying to create an academic model that takes kids and encourages them and engages them in the learning process, showing them that what they're learning has real value to their life by combining classroom learning with hands-on learning. We're trying to take that learning and make it spiritually beneficial to those kids. There are tons of opportunities to develop character through object lessons on the farm. Tons of opportunities while working in the field or in the garden to point children, young people, to the God of creation. As I shared with you in that previous quote, that the best way to reach the heathen who know not God is through his what? Through his works. But even Jesus, so often in his ministry, quoted from nature, from farming, as a part of his teaching experience, every opportunity on the farm exists to point kids, people, to the God of creation. We're trying to create an, a model of education, and we don't have all the answers. We're trying to create a model of education that demonstrates the validity and the potential successfulness of God's model to the world around us for the benefit of our kids. I believe, personally, that many of you in this room relate to the experience that I've been sharing. Many of you grew up on farms. Many of you grew up in homes where you were taught to work. Many of you were taught skills by your fathers, your grandfathers, your mothers, your grandmothers whether that's cooking and baking or carpentry or auto repair, you were taught things in your generation that the current generation has been entirely withheld from. And I would dare go so far as to say that your generation will be a generation that Americans will miss years from now. And I want to make a personal appeal to you to the many of you who grew up with a different educational model than I grew up with, to bless the world by encouraging and supporting the development of an educational system that gives to kids what you grew up with. My grandfather was one of 11 kids that grew up in the Depression. He did not finish elementary school. My dad, which I told you a little bit about earlier, never went to college. He got involved in the family business and was stuck at home. He didn't get to go to college. But both of these guys are amazingly self-made men. Common sense, self-educating, practical, can do anything that they really wanted to do if they set their hearts to it. 
Many of them are just like the many of you that I have met. And my father, unfortunately, said to me so many times as a kid, you know, I just wanted you to have it better than I did when I grew up. And one day I realized that in his sincere desire to make my life easier, he withheld from me the blessings that he had been given by the hardworking environment that he grew up with as a kid. True, his father could have made it more fun, could have made it more enjoyable. Many of your parents or grandparents, perhaps, learned through the Depression merely to survive. And it wasn't always fun. But it made America into what it is today. And 50 years from now, America will look nothing like the world you grew up in unless we make a decided change in what we're offering to our young people and we offer them the same opportunities for development that made you what you are, so many Americans what they are, instead of allowing them to grow up knowing what we currently know, which to be honest, I knew almost nothing. Lots of stuff shoved in my brain but I knew almost nothing compared to the real world things that my father and my grandfather knew. I thank God that he intervened in my life about 20 years ago and that through the reading of the Bible and the reading of uh, Ellen White's writings that he opened my eyes to the real value of his educational model which so many of you grew up with because of the culture of America at the time. And I want to challenge you to support this school, to support what this school wants to do. You've probably seen in the bulletin that they're trying to develop a farm program. I want you to encourage your conference administrators, your pastors, your teachers here at this school to embrace what's so different for many of them. Support them, encourage them, pray for them, pray for your kids. Because it'll make all the difference between 50% of your kids leaving the church and them staying in the church and being in heaven. Education is not merely about academics. It's about mission. And a farm-based school is the core of God's model of education. I thank you for allowing me the opportunity to share with you what we're doing at FAA, what I've learned over the course of the last few years. I ask that you would pray for us if you'd like to visit us on your website and keep up with what we're doing, you're welcome to do that. But I want to thank you sincerely for listening to me the last four hours. You have one more hour to endure of me, if you so choose. And uh, I ask that you would, you would seriously contemplate the things that I've shared with you. I don't ask you to believe it because I've said it. But I would ask of you to think about it and see if it's true. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.